Wow, some of you took that seriously, so thanks. That's great. Hey, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to John chapter 21. And uh, we have been in this uh, gospel almost all year long. And I want to just invite you to turn there. If you're new to uh, being with us, that's okay. We have red Bibles in the seat rack in front of you. If you want to pull one out, you can turn to about three-fourths, four-fifths of the way back in your Bible, and that's where you'll find Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're in the last chapter of John, John chapter 21. We're in this series called Encountering Christ. You can see in the banners here up front, we've been studying uh, from this angle. What are the different encounters people had with Jesus? <clears throat> and how can we learn from those encounters? Hopefully we can encounter Jesus ourselves. <clears throat> so before we do that, though, if you can just mark your place, I want to read a story to you. Some of you know this story I'm about to read. You know it's one of my all-time favorites. And so <clears throat> you may wonder if I'm just reading this uh, because it's one of my all-time favorites. Uh, but actually, I think you're going to see how it <clears throat> ties in. And uh, <clears throat> I'm just so happy to read this again. Chippy the parakeet never saw it coming. One second he was peacefully perched in his cage singing. The next he was sucked in, washed up, and blown over. His problem began when his owner decided to clean his cage with a vacuum. <laughs> she stuck the nozzle in to suck up the seeds and feathers at the bottom of the cage. Then the phone rang. Instinctively, his owner picked it up. She barely said hello when <laughs> Chippy got sucked in. She gasped, let the phone drop, and snapped off the vacuum. And with her heart in her mouth, she unzipped the bag. There was Chippy, alive but stunned, <laughs> covered with heavy black dust. She grabbed him and rushed to the bathtub, turned on the faucet full blast, and held Chippy under a torrent of ice-cold water, power washing him clean. Next, she did what any compassionate pet owner would do. She snatched up the hairdryer and blasted the wet, shivering little bird with hot air. Now comes my favorite line. Chippy doesn't sing much anymore. <laughs> and Chippy's not the only one who doesn't sing much anymore. I never know what condition you may walk into this room. I don't know what kind of week you've had. I don't know how it's gone for you. I can tell you that recently I had an opportunity to walk into this room and also visit another church just to worship. I felt like I needed to just let some other people sing to me and talk to me without having to prepare a message. And so I, I was able to do that. And as I walked in, I, I need to tell you, I just so badly needed for someone to say a word of hope to me because I had failed Jesus so badly again. And I was just, my chin was in the curb. Peter's not singing much anymore in this encounter we're going to study today. Now, the resurrection has happened. I mean, Jesus is alive. He should be doing great, right? But instead, he's got something hanging over him. His failure that goes back before the cross keeps this kind of awkward tension between him and Jesus. It hasn't gotten completely dealt with yet as far as we can tell. And in this encounter, Jesus does something to help Peter. Now, if you're following along, here's what I hope you'll see, is that Peter's humbled. Peter's humbled. He's disowned Jesus three times. I know people outside 
uh, the church outside, people that haven't even regularly come to church, they've heard about this big fisherman named Peter. They've heard how he denied Jesus three times on the night Jesus was betrayed. And so they know about his failure. That's how worldwide this guy's failure has become. And so Peter is just trying to figure out, like, you know, my past is ruining my present. My past is definitely making me wonder if I have any future with Jesus, at least. What's, what's this all mean? And now the resurrection, well, that just, that confuses me too. Like, what do I do? So he's so humble. You see, the night that Jesus was betrayed, Peter had said to Jesus with total confidence, even if all these other guys fail you, I never will. I'll be there for you, Jesus. I'll be there all the way to the end. In fact, even if I have to die or go to prison for you, I am your best guy. I will be there for you. And he had said this with so much confidence. And I, I honestly believe he meant every word he said. But look at what Jesus said to him even that night. See, Jesus can see farther in our future than we can. Look at what he says, Luke 22, verses 31, 34. It's a powerful thing. He says, Simon, Simon, uh, his full name was Simon Peter, uh, Simon, son of John. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. He says, Simon, you're about to go through something where you're going you're gonna to feel like you were turned inside out, but when you come back to me, I want, this is what I want you to do. I want you to strengthen your other brothers. Wow, Jesus could see that far. So he's been humbled greatly. And I, I don't know about you, but there are things that happen in our lives that humble us greatly, that shake us. And we aren't singing much anymore. But here's what I want you to see in this conversation that we're about to study, is that in a memorable, if you're following along, in a memorable conversation, Jesus restores Peter in a memorable conversation, Jesus restores Peter. I doubt Peter ever forgot this conversation there on the shore by the Sea of Galilee the rest of his life. I doubt he ever forgot it. In fact, I can just tell you it's this passage of Scripture that so many times, even like how I felt last week, that so many times Jesus has used this passage of Scripture not only to strengthen me and get me back in the game, but he's used it for many other believers over the years. And I'm praying, I've been praying that he would come to your seat today, whether you stop singing or not, and that he would use it to restore and refire something in your heart again like he did Peter that day. So I want to ask if you'll pray with me. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at the first 14 verses more quickly. We're going to mainly focus on this conversation, verses 15 through 19, and read all the way to verse 23. Let me pray. Now, Lord, I ask that you would visit us as we study your word. I don't know what people need, only you do. But I thank you that so many times you're faithful to come to our chair, to come to where we are and, and do something restoring. I'm thankful you're a restoring God. Help us, Lord, to walk in that. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so verses 1 through 14, I'm going to read it with some comment, and then uh, we'll mainly focus on verse 15 through 19. Okay, afterward, and people wonder how long afterward, this could have been like two or three weeks after the resurrection appearances that we have been studying. So sometime uh, 
just a few weeks after Jesus rose again from the dead. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. Sometimes uh, that's interchanged with the Sea of Galilee. And some of you have been to the Holy Land, and you know that this body of water isn't that big. In fact, it's surprising it's called a sea. It's more like a lake. But the early disciples had all met Jesus in the early days on the north side of the, of the Sea of Galilee. So that's where they are now. They're now 80 miles north of Jerusalem, where the whole resurrection thing happened and the crucifixion happened. They've gone back to their homes. Okay? And Jesus had told them to go back to Galilee, so they've done that. And here they are, not sure what to do. They're waiting for him to show up again because he shows up at his, his, you know, his will. And so notice what happens. It says, it happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, which means twin, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee. Do, do any of you know the sons of Zebedee's names? We're told in other parts of the scripture. They're James and John. John's kind of the author of this gospel is, again, speaking of himself very humbly. But he's saying, I was there. And two other disciples were together. So seven of them. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. Everybody remember what Simon Peter's occupation was when Jesus first met him? Fishing. He and several of these guys had all been fishermen. And you can read about that in the gospel accounts. He said, I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught, what, how much? Nothing. Now some of us go, well, what's the big deal? Well, one, it's their job. And second of all, if you use a hook and line and you don't catch anything, that's not always surprising. But if you fish with a net and you catch nothing, that's a really bad night. That's a lot of, over and over again, putting the nets down and nothing coming up. So it's, it's kind of, it kind of is like Peter's life right now. Okay, Caught nothing. And then it says this. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. So picture it before the sunrise. It's probably dark enough. But the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. Now, they either didn't realize it was because of Jesus, because in some of his resurrection appearances, he keeps people from recognizing him at first. And other times, it might be just because of the weather. It might be because of the time of day. They may not be able to see that far. And I was reading this week, it was customary in those days for fish dealers to come down, not fish stealers, fish dealers, sorry, fish dealers to come down to the shore and just find out as the, as the guys were starting to pull back in how many fish they caught so they could be the first to buy those fish. So usually there were some guys that would come down early in the morning. So they, had, they didn't realize what was going on. But, but Jesus did. And, and I want you to know that Jesus was already there before they knew it. And Jesus is getting them ready for when he's not going to be physically present. But they can know that he still sees them and he's still doing things even if they can't see him. So he says, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. It's kind of interesting advice, isn't it? When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, we've talked about this many times, who is the, this guy, the disciple whom Jesus loved? It's the author of the gospel, it's John, said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. Now, um, one of the things, if you ever want to read Luke chapter 5, when Jesus first calls Peter, Peter was a professional fisherman, so Jesus asked if he could use his boat one day to teach because the crowds were so thick. 
So he pushed out a little ways, and it also was a natural amplification of his voice across the water. But as he taught, when he got done teaching all about God and the Bible and spiritual things, he says to Peter, he says, let's go fishing. Now, he just gotten done cleaning the nets. And Peter didn't want to embarrass Jesus or act like he was a real know-it-all, but he just said, you know, um, we didn't catch anything last night, and I don't really want to get into the fact that you're picking the worst time of day for fishermen to go fishing, but nevertheless, because you tell me to do it, I'll do it. So they go out, and they let down the nets, and they catch so many fish. The Bible says the nets are breaking. Well, you would have thought Peter would have immediately said, Jesus, can I hire you? But instead, the Bible says is that he is so humbled that he falls in front of Jesus and said, would you please go away from me? I am a sinful man. I am not worthy to hang around you. I thought I was so smart. There's something about you. You're smarter than me. Now, as soon as John goes, it's the Lord. What he's saying is, he's doing it again. All these fish, just by telling us where to put the net, he knows more about fish than we do. He knows more about everything than we do. It's the Lord. Peter is so wanting to get right with Jesus that he jumps in the water. He's the most compulsive person among the disciples. And he jumps in and he's, he can't wait to get to shore. He wants to see Jesus. He wants to be right with Jesus. And then notice what happens. Verse 8, the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about 100 yards. Uh, football field. I know what some of you are thinking about right now. Football. All right, so it says this. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it. Keep, keep note of that. Burning coals, charcoals, and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Jesus already had some fish and bread, and he says, look, I don't need them, but bring some of yours, and we'll put those on too. And Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. This is a kind of comment that an eyewitness would make. I was there. I saw exactly how many fish were counted, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn this time. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Wow. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took bread, gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. He appeared to other people, like we saw last week, Mary Magdalene. But this is the third time in John's gospel he appears to the disciples as a group. 153 fish. A lot of people have talked a lot about, what's that mean? And some people in numerology go, 153 means this and this. Can I just tell you what I think it means? 153. <laughs> I mean, really, I think what he's saying is this. Look. I'm only telling you that number because we would have counted this anyway. Fishermen do that. That's how we divide things up. That's how we figure out how much money. That's how we remember a very good day. I've seen people tell me their greatest fishing catch ever, and they can tell it with so much enthusiasm. Why? Because they remember it like it was yesterday. I think what they were saying is, this was 153 day. Oh, my goodness, and they were big fish. So he puts all that down, and he goes, wow. That was an incredible moment with Jesus. But that wasn't half as incredible as what happened after breakfast. If you're following the notes, what I hope you see in this passage is that Jesus makes the first move. He offers advice and breakfast to the disciples. He makes the first move, and he offers advice and breakfast. So he comes down, and the word for Jesus showing up isn't like he walked down there. It's like he showed up. 
So it shows a certain amount of mystery now as he's risen. He shows up. All of a sudden, he's there. He wasn't there before. Now he's there. And he, he says to the guys, hey, you didn't catch anything, did you? Thank you very much for reminding us. No, we didn't. So as he's going through that, uh, he gives them advice, and now he's preparing breakfast. For those of us in the United States, we don't think necessarily of meals maybe the way people in the Middle East do. If you have a meal with someone in the Middle East, you only do that with people that you're close to. You do not have a meal with someone unless you want to be in intimate friendship and fellowship with them. It's just not a casual thing for them. So what Jesus is doing is he's preparing breakfast. He's saying, I want to have one of those times like we've had many times before. I'm preparing breakfast. Come and eat. And the Bible tells us at the end of the Bible that there's coming a day when Jesus comes back where he's going to say to every one of his followers, come and eat forever with me. So he offers a breakfast, and then I talk to you about the charcoal fire. He's making a charcoal fire made out of these coals. And some of you know the difference between grilling with gas and grilling with briquettes, charcoal. You know, the smells differently, you know, sometimes, and I've met people that they, they're very particular about how they grill. Well, there's a smell like that. So I don't know if you know this, but do you remember the occasion when Peter disowned Jesus three times? Remember what it was around? around a fire. Look at this verse, John 18, 18 with me. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them standing and warming himself. And that's when he said three different times over a period of time, I don't know him. I don't know him. You've got the wrong guy. I have never known the guy. And he basically threw Jesus under the bus. That's an incredible thing when you think of the three years they'd spent and all that Peter promised. And now Jesus is preparing breakfast. And guess what kind of fire he's using? Charcoal fire. Some people have told me that one of the last senses of our five senses to go when someone's dying is our ability to smell. I've also, whether that's true or not, I do know this. Some of us can tell you that when we smell something, it can take us back immediately. 25 years or to when we were a kid or all of a sudden something will happen. Wow. So this is all happening. This is occasion for the conversation that Jesus has, but he made the first move. He came to them. He set this up. He welcomed them in and now he has this conversation. If you're following along, after breakfast, Jesus asked Peter one question three times. And most of what I want to talk to you about today is about this one question because this one question is a powerful question, and it did something to Peter that changed the rest of his life. So he asked him one question three times. Let me read verses 15 through 17 and see if you can recognize the question. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John. This gets very formal. When I was a boy, if my mom or dad said Jeffrey Paul Nelson, they had my full attention. <laughs> Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? I bet there was a long pause. Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, 
do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. If you're following along, Peter gives the same reply three times and is hurt as Jesus probes. The one question that he asked three times is simply this, do you love me? When I was growing up and I was younger, I was taught by some of my Bible teachers that what's going on here is that Jesus is asking, do you have a profound love for me? And, and the, the Greek word for that kind of love is called agape love or agapao. Do you, do you have agape love for me? And that that's what Jesus is asking Peter. Uh, and that Peter can't quite answer with that way. So he says, no, I have a, a phileo love for you. I'm fond of you. And what I hope to say to you is, is simply, I don't, I don't think that's really the big idea here. I think Jesus is keeping it super simple. Most people can tell that Jesus... John used the same word, agapao and phileo, which means, agapao means the supreme love. Phileo, we get that word Philadelphia from, brotherly love, family love. So there's this family love, and there's also this intimate sacrificial love that Jesus is also talking about. Well, he uses those words for Jesus and his love for the Father interchangeably. So really, they're synonyms. In fact, they probably had this conversation in Aramaic, not Greek. So I think the question is straightforward. Do you love me? Because that's the heart of the matter. Do you love me? And one of the things that I will say, too, that if, if we are trying to figure out whether he's saying, do you agapao, agape love, all three times, Peter answers in the affirmative. Twice he says, yes, I do, yes, I do, yes, I do. I don't think that's the point. He's trying to say, do you love me? And he asks him three times, why? How many times did Peter deny him? Three times. He gives Peter an opportunity that although he failed publicly, three times. Now he gives him an opportunity to say it publicly three times. It's just an amazing thing. And then notice what else is going on. He says, if you're following along, Jesus goes on. And Peter gives the same reply three times and is hurt as Jesus probes. Did I already say that? I did. Sorry. Um, here's the same reply. He words it a little different each time, but each time it does have this phrase in the international version. You know that I love you. The same Peter that used to brag, I will be there for you. I'm, you know, I'm going to show you how great of a follower I am. Now all he can do is throw himself back on what Jesus, he knows, knows everything. And he says, Lord, you know, I can't fool you. You know, I love you. You know whether I'm blowing smoke or telling the truth, you know, I love you. And those three times, and it says in that verse there that he's hurt. When Jesus asked the third time, do you love me? Because Jesus is doing this surgery. Anybody ever had a broken bone, broken leg or something like that, and you had to have it reset? I know some of you have given your life to resetting bones and things like that, and you know that in order to do this, sometimes when you're first resetting, sometimes you actually have to either break it or shift it in a way that still hurts terribly bad. But that's the only way to get it set right so that it can heal, and sometimes if it heals properly, it can be twice as strong as it was before, but at the time, it just hurts. Jesus is not afraid to hurt us if it will help us. Jesus does not hurt us to harm us. He hurts us to help us. There's a big difference. And Jesus is willing to do surgery on us and probe sometimes and touch those sensitive nerve endings in our lives in order to heal us. And that's what he's doing with Peter. It's an incredible thing. And notice in verses 18 through 19, Jesus says, care for my sheep and follow me to death. Let me read verses 18 and 19. 
Jesus says, I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will take, dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, these words, follow me. Now, again, if you're following on, Jesus says, care for my sheep and follow me. This is an interesting thing. I was thinking to myself that after he asked him three times, do you love me, that Jesus would go, good to know. Good to know. Thanks. That's all I wanted to ask. But every time he says it, he gets his sheep involved. So every time he says it, as soon as Peter says, you know I love you, then he immediately says, feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. And all of a sudden, Peter's going, no, 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 I love you. I don't want to do anything with your sheep. <laughs> Jesus says, no, love me, love my sheep. If you love me, you'll love my sheep. Peter's going, you don't understand. Your sheep are weird. Your sheep are hard to love sometimes. Your sheep drive me crazy sometimes. Jesus says, feed my lambs. Feed my younger ones. Feed my sheep. Care about what I care about. Gives them responsibility. It's this passage and some other ones that helped me realize as a pastor's kid growing up when I sometimes wanted to write off weird church people that I was one of those weird church people that Jesus could have written off. And he loves his people, warts and all, thank heavens, or I would be in trouble. Love me, feed my sheep. And then he says this, and by the way, I just want to stop and say, elders, Sunday school teachers, parents, bless you for feeding his sheep. And then he says, follow me, even to death. The idea is, he says, someone's, someone's going to take you where you don't want to go. You, you will stretch out your arms. This is a picture of the cross. And he's saying, not right now, but there's coming a day when you're going to go through something that's not going to be easy to go through, and you're going to die a death that will glorify God that way, the same way I've died. Well, that's, whew, you go, wow, uh, I think I meant to say I love you, Jesus. But this is all that was involved. And Jesus is letting him know some really intimate conversation. Now, when that happens, don't you want to know what he's going to do with other people? And that's exactly what happens next in verses 20 through 23. Let me read those. Jesus turned, and so, Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved, which was who again, friends? John, was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the Last Supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Now look at what Jesus says in verse 22. Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the brothers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? If you're following along to Peter's what about him question, Jesus gives the witty principle. W-I-T-T-Y, the witty principle. Where do I get that? What is that to you? This is powerful, friends, if you get a hold of what he does this moment. Kay Warren, who's the wife of Rick Warren from Saddleback Church out in California, I once heard her speak on this, and in the first 15 years that they were planting that church and starting it out in California, I mean, a lot of people hear about it now. 
but in the first 15 years starting in 1980, they, they had a hard time even getting land. It's so expensive, and the county opposed a lot of that, and so they had a hard time. Finally, one day, Kay was just worn down. She went into her office, and she just let Jesus have it. And she just said, she started naming different pastors in different churches. They have land. They have a building. They get to see, because they had been in 79 different buildings in those 15 years, where they had to tear down, set up. They had to rent. They never had their own place, and so it was just really hard. And she goes, you know, they get to do that. And so she finally cooled down. She was reading her Bible there in her office, trying to just pour this out to the Lord. And the Lord took her to John 21 and took her to this question. And basically, he burned this question in her heart and mind. Okay, what is that to you? What I do with someone else is none of your business. The way that I work or bless or ask someone to sacrifice for me is none of your business. You follow me. You follow me. Friends, I had a, a young guy who is in his early 30s now. He, he, he was a teenager. His sister was killed in a auto, uh, motorcycle accident head-on, hit a truck with her fiance. They were both killed. And this guy, he just recently found me on Facebook, and he just said, I'm living out here in New York City. And I'm having a hard time believing in Jesus because of all these Christians that I see. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, what can I possibly share? Because I know what he's talking about. You know, Jesus' sheep are difficult sometimes, aren't they? And I sense more than ever what the Lord's saying to him and to me and to you is, what is that to you? You stop worrying about other people and you follow me because I'm asking you to follow me. I'm not talking to them as much as I'm talking to you right now. Friends, I just want to ask you, are you blowing off Jesus' call to follow him? Because he is saying to many of you right now, I know it by his spirit, follow me. Follow me with your life. I told you three years ago, I know you failed immensely, you're going to fail again, but follow me. Follow me, man. And if you're following along in the notes, notice that Jesus says emphatically, you follow me. You follow me. Come on. You follow me. And, then, and literally, this could be translated, keep following me. I wonder if someone needs to hear that this morning, right now. A while back, you stopped following him. Or right now, you're wondering if it's worth following him. You're, you're, on, the, you're on the brink. Maybe you feel like, Kay Warren, you're just going, I don't, I don't know if I can take this anymore. I don't know. And he's just saying, look, follow me. That's what I'm asking you to do. Follow me and keep following me. Don't quit. Don't quit. It all goes back to this one question, this question that just will not go away, this question that Jesus keeps asking, do you love me? Why, what's love got to do with it? Why is this so important to Jesus? Think about this. If you were to come to someone that had let you down, how would you talk to them? What would be your first questions? Can I tell you mine? Oh, so you, you, you remember what you said to me? You promised you'd be there for me. Are you going to remember that I told you so? Are you ever going to fail again? Because if you are, I'm done with you. Jesus comes and he asks this simple question. Do you love me? And Jesus is a genius. He knows something about how important the answer to this question is. So if you're following along, let's just talk about this before we wrap up. Notice in verse 15, the question he asks in extended form is this. Do you love me more than these? Translated, do you love me more than anything or anyone else? 
Do you love me more than anything or anyone else? Is, is my microphone having problems? It's just my voice rattling. Just making sure. Okay. There's only three possibilities that this question could mean. One is Jesus is sitting around that fire and saying, do you love me more than your mates? Do you love me more than these guys you're fishing with? Are they more important to you than me? The second possibility is, do you love me more than the fishing business? Do you love me more than the nets or the boats or the fish? Do you love me more than your job or your career? Do you love me more than that? And the third possibility is, do you still believe that you love me better and more than all these other guys do when you bragged? Whew. Piercing. And Peter is in a completely different position now. He's more humble. He's willing to see Jesus the way he sees him. And so he's asking him, do you love me more? Can I just talk to you about this? If you and I love anything or anyone, including our closest family members, more than we love Jesus, we can't follow him. We can't follow him wholeheartedly. It'll get in the way. It'll stop us from being able to follow him. That's why Jesus wants to just say, look, do you love me even more than these? Because if you don't, you're going to have such a hard time. But I will help you with that. But do you love me more than these? The second thing of this is, only with such love can we serve and suffer rightly. And I might add, only this kind of love can help us fight temptation differently. I've met people that fight temptation out of guilt. I've met people that fight temptation out of every other motive. But I'll tell you what, it's completely different when you fight it because you love someone and you know how that stuff can hurt them. Completely differently. And we serve and suffer. Notice Jesus never said, feed my sheep until he had first asked, do you love me? Because he knew that if that wasn't right, then no matter how he served or no matter how he suffered, it would not be right. Something would be wrong. And so he says that. Have you ever seen 1 Corinthians 13? I know it gets read at weddings, but have you ever seen these first three verses? Look at what it says. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, in other words, if I'm really eloquent, if I got a real gift for talking publicly, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, if I'm really smart, both about now and the future, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am what, friends? Nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, I mean, like if you are an incredibly good person and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain how much, friends? Nothing. Jesus says, look, if you don't love me, no matter what you do, it's really not going to matter because it won't be, it'll come from the wrong place. It'll come from a different place. Do you love me? Third thing I hope you'll see is that life with Jesus is a relationship, not a performance. Life with Jesus is a relationship. I put the word love in front of relationship. Life with Jesus is a love relationship, not a performance. A few years ago, we were studying a, a study called Experiencing God. And a man came up to me from this church and said, you know, I grew up my whole life going to church, but no one had ever helped me understand that Christianity is about a love relationship with Jesus Christ. I always thought it was about a performance thing. I thought it was about keeping rules. I thought it was about keeping my nose clean and impressing other people. No one ever told me that it was a love relationship where he first loved me and then he asked me to love him back. And that if I would pay attention to learning how to relate to him, rightly and well, that it would change my whole life. I just, I never knew that kind of love was available to me. No one explained that to me. But he's changing my life, he said. Some of us still look like a performance, and if Peter had done that, he would have been tanked. Jesus brought him back and said, do you love me? Is our relationship still there? 
Because if it is, I know that, that you, even when you fail, will act differently. The last thing I want you to see is that in response to Jesus' love, Peter obeys. In response to Jesus' love, Peter obeys. 1 John 4.19 says we love because he first loved us. In other words, when we realize just how much Jesus put himself out there for us, not only on the cross, but the way he even comes after us with this love that makes breakfast for us, this love that keeps saying, I'm going to keep sticking with you. I will work through you. I'll work through your failures. I love you that much. Man, Peter just goes, if that's the way you are to me, I want to respond with the same kind of love. And Jesus had said, if you love me, you'll obey me. If you love me, that'll take care of itself. You'll obey me, different reasons. And Peter goes on to write the Gospel of Mark, First and Second Peter. He fed God's sheep. We can even read those letters today. A few weeks later, he preaches at Pentecost. 3,000 people become followers of Jesus through his bold preaching, no longer shrinking back. But he's not afraid anymore because out of love for Jesus, you go places you'll never go. Out of love for Jesus, you do things you would never do. Out of love for Jesus, it's all together different. And Jesus gets this. This all came home to me just a few months ago in a fresh way. And so let me just tell you how God kind of rung my bell on this. Trish and I have been married 30 years. And uh, what I'm learning is that marriage is still an everyday event. Uh, where it's just a, a work in progress, where we learn how to work together as a team. I still have to learn how to be humble, still have to admit I'm wrong sometimes, I fail. So anyway, Trish and I have been married this many years, but uh, back about mm, a year ago or whatever, she started saying, hey Jeff, um, our shower, you know, we had this fiberglass wall, and then there's this caulking between that and the tub, and uh, she said, would you mind uh, just wiping down that corners and crevices on the top of the tub there, because if the water sits there, then it's going to start eating through the caulking. Some of you are going, man, we're a long way from the Bible now. <laughs> Stick with me. So, so I remember that when she asked me to wipe that down every time after I got out of the shower, I remember thinking to myself, that's a hassle. I didn't tell her this. But I remember thinking, that that's a hassle, and really, it doesn't bother my world that much that there's water sitting on top of the tub there. I, I think the caulking's going to be just fine. You know, I had all these thoughts. I don't know if you're like this, maybe it's just me. But what happened is, is that I noticed then that I would uh, just uh, happen to forget to do that. And so Trish would say to me, uh, you know, Jeff, I, would, would you just please, again, that means a lot to me and stuff like that. So I remember once, sometimes I'd do it, sometimes I didn't. One day, as I'm, I'm doing this, I'm taking a, a rag and just doing it, the Lord across the ticker of my mind, again, I knew it wasn't me because I knew how I thought about all this, just said, Jeff, do you love Trisha? What's that got to do? You love Trisha because this means a lot to her. Would you please do that? Out of love for Trish. So I thought, well, okay, okay. So I did this. And then just put the towel in. And uh, I thought, well, I'm growing, but not very fast. And uh, over a period of time, the Lord showed me that when you do things for love, you do them differently. And so I started wiping down the whole wall because I knew that eventually someone would drip down and didn't sit there. <laughs> and then I was being careful and I did. One day Trish walks in and sees me doing that. She goes, wow, that's like way past what I asked you to do. And I didn't say anything like, yeah, God's been dealing with me. She didn't even know that. But the point is, <laughs> is that here's the thing. The reason why he could ask me if I love Trisha is because he knew that underneath everything else in my life, and friends, I am a huge failure walking with Jesus, 
if it was up to performance. But because underneath it all, I love Jesus. And if he asks me to wipe down a shower stall, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to learn how to do it out of a heart of love and not having a nosebleed or a tantrum every time. And I'll tell you what, can you imagine if every one of us walked out of here with this cleaned up? Could you imagine? Because here's what Jesus is saying. If I get your heart, everything else will follow. If I get you and you're in the game, then even when you mess up, you will mess up differently. Even when you humble yourself, you'll do it differently because you'll do it out of love for me. And what I want to know today is do you love me? Oh man, friends, Jesus wants us to understand this isn't about just doing church stuff with love for Jesus. This is about doing everything with love for Jesus. This is about caring about his sheep. This is about caring about people. So last question, here's the prayer. Learning from this encounter. Is it a love for you, Jesus, that shapes all I do? Is it? Is it a love for you, Jesus, that shapes all I do? 2 Corinthians 5.14 says, the love of Christ compels us. That's what drives me. That's what pulls me in life. It's a love for Christ where now I see everything. Friends, there's times as a pastor, you know, different people, I'll feel like the load's heavy and the Lord just says, well, do you love me, Jeff? Feed my sheep. Okay, Lord, show me how to do that. It's changed everything. So you can put your book away, your notes away. Do you mind just bowing your head with me? While Michelle's playing, would you just take a minute to let this question, I don't know where this question lands on your life today, but Jesus wants to restore you. Jesus wants to invite you to follow him, but he wants to know if you love him, because he's already made it crystal clear about how he feels about you, about me. But it's not always so crystal clear about how we respond to him. And we forget sometimes, even after studying John 21, I sure have. I needed this reminder today. But just let him speak to you for the next few moments before we close. Right there in your seat, would you join me singing just this one verse, this song? Jesus, we love you, we worship and adore you, glorify thy name in all the earth. Glorify thy name. 
want to ask the prayer team to come down front. They'll just be standing here in case that would be helpful to you. I hope you don't think that if you come forward, people think you're weak. If you come forward, most of us are just so thankful for anybody that wants to respond to the Lord. If you need prayer, whatever, we hold you in high regard. If you have the courage to come down front, maybe God's been leading you to follow his son Jesus for the first time ever, and you need to nail that down today with someone. They'd be glad to pray with you. Maybe you've already taken that step, but he's leading you to be part of this church where we learn how to feed and care for his sheep together. Whatever it might be, maybe you just need someone to pray for you. Maybe it's one of those times where you're not singing much anymore. Whatever it might be, I'm so glad you came today. I hope that you carry with you out of this place, no matter where you travel in the next few weeks. Every morning you can start out by saying, Jesus, the answer is yes. I love you. In light of what you've done for me, I love you. And I don't know where this is going to take me, but show me how to follow you with love in my heart for you. I'll do whatever you ask me to do. Amen? So let me pray. Thank you, Jesus, for not sticking our noses in our failures, but coming and really getting to the heart of the matter, doing the kind of surgery that really can heal. And I pray you'll restore people all over the place today for your glory. Amen.